name's David Vardabedian. Thanks so much for tuning in to Get Real Sobriety. Hope you enjoy this show. All right. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Get Real Sobriety. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, actually, in uh, Santa Barbara, California. My friend Brendan has come up uh, from Los Angeles. He and I have known each other for 53 years. So, one, that just means we're old. And two, it means that... Um, you know, we've had a lot of history. Um, we, you know, before this podcast, we were kind of just chatting and trying to organize our thoughts of, you know, what we're going to talk about. But I think in, in reference is that he's here, you know, I've got 32 years of sobriety. My birthday is July 8th, 1989. He, um, has 39 year, right? Eight. 38 mm-hmm. years, yeah. And your birthday is? June 22nd, 1983. Wow. So, you know, there's almost 70 years of sobriety right there. And, and uh, you know, it's just so funny. So we grew up in Southern California in the South Bay, as they call it, Palos Verdes, Redondo Beach, San Pedro, Wilmington, all these different spots. And I was thinking about this and we should have like a... Um, some kind of guide to the names because there'll be a name called Smack, there'll be a name called Blackie, there'll be a name called Buck, we call Brendan Bucky because his sisters couldn't say... a glossary. Yeah, a glossary of names. And, and you know, I'm Vardo and, and uh, you know, Mini Mule and Mule and all these, all of the characters that, were, that we grew up with. So, um, you know... So I, this is, you know, we were talking about this. I remember one of my first memories of meeting you is when you guys had moved down from Palos Verdes to Torrance, you know, when I was 13, 13 or 14, I don't know, whatever. I don't want to get lost in the timeline, but um, there was a, a drug that was on the streets and thank God it's not in high schools anymore. It was called second all of it. We would get reds and then whites would be bennies. But my, I, I always leaned more for the downers and, and, uh, and red wine. But, um, I, I, you know, your mom or someone must've called my fan, my dad. And he, I just remember waking up as he was carrying me out to the car and, and that was one of my first remember, memories of, of, you know, not knowing you, but, you know, I know your brother, uh, Kevin, and, and I kind of remember the room, how, where that's in the data, you know, my database in my mind. But I, um, I just remember that. And that, you know, I, I th- you know, people ask me, so when, when I say what it was like, you know, um, or what happened, what it was like, uh, what are the three things? Um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Yeah, so my span of my using career was like, you know, 13, I would say 12 or 13 to 33. I got sober when I was 33. So um, that was like pretty much at the beginning, and I didn't like dabble. I mean, we smoked pot, but, you know, the reds were really dangerous, you know. And 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 then since then, we've had a career, you know, of of using and drinking and, and everything that comes along with it and all the crazy stories. And we could sit here and tell you guys like all of that. But I think the, the point of it all is that in good real sobriety or whoever listens to these podcasts, um, is that there's some sort of hope in there and there's some sort of like, you know, 
There's no like, oh, we did it worse than you. To me, there's no like new information. You know, it's like Burroughs and Ginsburg, all those guys did all that. We kind of did it. I remember Danny Trejo saying a story is like, you know, we went to the connection and in the sixties and he was out in the front lawn. His whole family was out and he was locked in a room with Coke and they didn't even know about it then. And so it's like the same story just been told over and over. So what's like your first recollection of like meeting me or? Well, uh, first of all, it's good to be here, Dave. And, uh, you know, I read your book and, uh, was very inspired and really impressed with the writing, you know, and um, thank you. It really filled in a lot of blanks, and of course, you guys, you and I have probably more work to do on that because yeah. we each had our own take on it. <laughs> I've told you, like, uh, I was so self-absorbed as an adolescent, right. and then you add drugs and alcohol, and there's there's like hardly my world ends at my fucking nose, you yeah. know. And uh, so, my first recollection of you is we we knew girls in the same crowd, and. Uh, you know, I was sober a while before I realized, you know, we really had some quality people in our lives, but yeah. who knew? So they said, oh, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. He's wild like you, you know, and I didn't really see myself as wild, you know, but uh, I was drawn to that. So I came to your eighth grade graduation and you came dancing down the aisle in your uh, fringed cowhide jacket and your big boots and everybody was laughing and I could tell everybody loved you. And uh, we just kind of became fast friends after that. And um, that continued. I think, you know, we traveled in different circles periodically through high school. And then I think later on when our disease really got a hold of us, uh, we were kind of like brothers. I mean, it was unspoken that, uh, you know, I had to get you well or you had to get me well. But we were were bound to that. Yeah, you know, I I remember it like the high school days... I think we dabbled like in harder drugs, but it was mostly like acid and, you know, you know, or being Encinitas with like hash and, and, and then, you know, I think the Coke comes in, you know, the heroin. I, I remember distinctly the first time I ever tried heroin was like when I was 16 at Sesame Hot Springs, not too far mm-hmm. from here. And, you know, some older guy, some guy that was 21, it puts like something on his hand and I snorted it and I almost drowned in the hot spring. I think you were there. I don't, I don't even remember it. That's as much as I remember. But it wasn't like a, continu- a continuum from there. Um, you know, uh, the opiates came into my life more with the Citra Forte and all of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then it became like this whole, like you and I, Black, you know, uh, smack Mike McAdee's not with us anymore, right? And uh, right, right. Um, that, you know, Hubert and that whole gang of like, you know, the drugstore cowboy kind of like syndrome took place on that, you know? I mean, was that your first addiction to opiates? Yeah, it was. And so, you know, during high school, I drank uh, and and took, you know, the downers. When I came back yeah. from, we moved to Pennsylvania after my dad died. Then we right. came back to Torrance. And, um, you know, I just would drink and, and pass out. And then people would, you know, tell me what I did and a blackout. And it kind of amused me and kind of spooked me, you know. And uh, I did that through high school. In fact, when I got sober, people would come up and tell me stories. And after a while, and they would corroborate them, I just started accepting what people said. Because what the fuck do I know? I was out right. of my mind, you know. 
But I did some geographics. You know, you remember I, um, I moved to uh, Northern California after I went to San Diego, then to Northern California, right. and back to San Diego. Was that when you were living on the Russian River or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was up there for a little bit. And then, uh, and this is pre being addicted to opiates, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, having the disease and trying to run from it, you know, right. and not knowing, I really believed I had to get away from you guys, yeah, yeah. You know, right. we're the problem. I had to get, you know, you and and, and Smack, very charismatic guy, right. you know, and uh, you know, he talked me into anything, and uh, which I was willing, right, right, right. and so. I go to San Diego and I take a hostage, as we say, mm-hmm. and she keeps me sober for a few years, but I'm fucking miserable. Right. I mean, I'm having the best time of my life, right? We're surfing, we're, we're you know, smoking dope, marijuana maintenance, right. parties at the house on the weekend where I would probably blackout drink. And then um, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I dismantled that relationship in a, 30 days after three years, and came back to L.A., and you guys were all waiting for me, thank God. Right, you were my right. salvation. I know, right. And it was at that point, like you, I, I, I know in your book, the first time you tried some stuff, no effect. It was yeah, like, almost yeah, like yeah. a placebo. I had right. that same experience. First time I smoked weed, of course, the weed wasn't that good. Yeah. First time I smoked weed, the first time I did this, the first time I did that. But I remember one time I got down uh, good with the, uh, you know, the, uh, the hydrocodone syrup, right. and... Uh, I woke up on a mattress at your house and I'm like, I'm fucking home. Exactly. I'm, I found a solution for all my problems. No hangovers that I knew of. Right, right. <laughs> because alcohol, you know, especially mixed drinks, is just a nasty ass hangover. And I like tequila. And tequila is, is a freaking drug. I would just black out on tequila. I love it though, you know. So anyway, you know, I'd say years before I ever heard anything about 12 step or or had any desire of getting out of that life, I identified as an alcoholic and an addict, right. not knowing the ramifications of that by any means. I think, too, is that, yeah, I, that's interesting, is that, you know, because my mom was sober, you know, she got sober in 69, like how that, like with fucking kids, like, you know, and I was just kind of getting into my own disease at that point, but I knew, I loosely knew. I mean, I saw the big book. I never like investigated anything or like drove into what it was about. But it was interesting because I think my first rehab was like at San Pedro Peninsula Hospital or something. And then Black brought me dope or something. And, and um, I just, it was like, yeah, we're alcoholics, of course. That's what, you know, it wasn't like, uh, oh, then we think about all, you know, you process it intellectually and like, okay, and that our lives have become unmanageable. What does that mean? But it was just like, this is what we do. And I think about the people that were around, you know, like another friend of ours, Jeff, that lives up here now, is he, they kind of just went by the wayside because they weren't alcoholics. You know, we stayed in our group of just dope fiend alcoholics. And then but going back to that Citra Forte, that kind of just opened the door for opiates, you know, for me. And, you know, and then the Dilaudids and then, you know, and then bringing stuff to Sound City and, and working with Keith and doing all of that and meeting. It was just, 
and then I remember the flower guy, and you know, I don't know, I'm Donnie. not trying to put him on Front Street or anything, he's but gone. he's gone. <laughs> yeah, but there was a flower store in Hermosa, and you'd go in and pick up Dilaudids or trade for them or whatever. I'd trade syrup or whatever for it. And then you'd always come out with a bouquet of flowers and a bunch of Dilaudid. And, and I remember, yeah, going to the studio with that, you know, bringing flowers in and, you know, um, again, not trying to put them on Front Street, but I remember Pat Benatar was recording one of her first albums there and, and I brought her flowers and, and I was bringing party favorites to the studio. You know, I was providing all the party favorites. But I think that the opiates escalated, you know, or what's the word I'm looking for? It just pushed everything forward, you know? So that was kind of like, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, late 70s, 76 through 80, and then things just got crazier in the 80s or something, you know? Um, yeah, but, we're, we're willing participants in the madness right. for a certain point. And, and I tell you, there's been times uh, well into sobriety that I've looked back at those days and I thought, man, life was pretty simple. Yeah. But it was hellacious right, right. On, on any given day. Right. And we were on a mission. And that, I have to say that when you're that compelled, right, to into the getting and using that, there's some purpose in your life, and we right. all need purpose, right? So we, yeah. that became the purpose. It, it's so funny is that, I, I, I don't know, I think it was like a ZZ Top like documentary, and I didn't realize that the drummer was like, you know, so, you know, like into opiates, and like he, said, he goes, the first, he goes, the first paycheck I ever got was like, the biggest one was a $70,000 paycheck, and they go, well, what'd you do with it? And he goes, submitted it all on drugs and alcohol. All of it. And he goes, I don't, you know, I think the guy's sober. I don't know. Not even to speak to that. And he goes, you know, heroin's really good. It really works, you know. And again, I'm not trying to like promote it. But when you find that, it's like you said, I'm home. It's like any spiritual, any physical, any emotional, any kind of pain that you have in your life goes away. But the problem is it's finite. You know, and and you and it, it's just this vicious cycle of, of trying to use and use and use and again, and so I, I, you know, it's almost good that that was into our lives because it, it, you know, it kind of pushed everything forward of us getting, you know, clean and sober it at a younger age. It, you know, you know, alcohol and drugs—they're really propelling us towards our spiritual path. Yeah, exactly. And we had no idea when we used to show up for parties, even in high school, just a, you know, a happy idiot, that what you really wanted was peace and acceptance. And you had no idea because there wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any voice in our life speaking Mm -hmm. that, you know, that might be something that you could use or or, uh, delivering it to us in any, you know, way but you know the the culture was very supportive of uh being a nonconformist as yeah, well right. right and so the music was a big part of your life and my life and i kind of looked at like this culture change that came from the 60s as like a um eclipsing right the the previous paradigm mm-hmm. and i welcomed it because we I, were kind of in the post hippie, you know, somewhat, yeah. yeah, you mm-hmm. know, 
because we we kind of came to of age and like from 71 through the rest of, you know yeah and so all of the free love and all of that was kind of gone and now it was all about hard drugs and yeah. just insanity right yeah so i but I, still i think and i always look at that as like to today you know health food stores and health, like all the stuff that we learned in those post hippie eras of like the early 70s I still incorporate into my life now, you know. Me too. I remember we used to, you and I would look at Maya Baba and like, uh, it looked like my dad. You remember some <laughs> young, like, photos right. of Maya Baba would look like my dad. But kind of that Eastern philosophy and then eating right. And I remember you always, like, a strung out heroin addict, but eating, like, really well. And I was just like, you know, I couldn't figure it out, you yeah. know. But, you know, so I think some of those ideas now of gardening and, you know, of, of like, uh, trying to live a cleaner life but it was so you know paradoxical because we're like shooting dope in our arms and you know going to like you know the sunrise sunshine cafe or something you know yeah um so but yeah the music was there you know the dead we were all into the dead and, and zeppelin and the stones i mean it was a great time that you know some people did fine through that, you know? And I like what Kesey says, is he's like, you know, I mean, you can't do any of that stuff without coming out with some bruises, you know? I mean, everyone's gonna get bruised a little bit, but, you know, you know, kind of getting into that early 80s when it was really bad, you know, like, in the, you know, from late 70s and where we were really strung out and things weren't going really well. Um, you know, we were talking about this one story that I wanted to share, it's that, and just wanted to get your perspective on it. And because I don't remember much, you know, I believe I, you know, I thought maybe I was getting out of the county jail or rehab and I came home and I was involved with this China White like connection at that point in San Pedro with some other friends. And it was really good dope, you know, and I had, you know, I picked up some on the way home. And again, timeline, who really cares? I get into that. And, People are bored with that. But I came home that evening, called you or something, and you and Heidi came up to the house, you know. And from there, but I, I kind of remember, I was like, yeah, but before I went in, I did this much. Now, but I've been clean a little bit of time. And, of course, I missed the mark. You know, I shot some China White, and I was gone. And well, the, the way I remember it, I think you got in trouble because we'd been, do, we'd been shooting Coke for three days. Oh, okay. We'd, we'd started on Friday, and this was like fucking Sunday or Monday. Right. And I was with you guys the whole time. Yeah. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we, right. were, we were, I don't know where we were. We were running around. Right. And um, so, you know, after you Been hit up, some yeah. dope after all that coke, it like knocks the legs out from right, you. Right. So I, you know, on, on the sly, you know, I'd been ingesting, you know, opiates just or I would lose my shit doing coke over right. that period of time, you know, because I was strung out. And then I see you coming down the hall from the bathroom. This is you, up at Sweet Bay, right? Yeah, 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 that great house. Yeah. And then you collapsed. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know. And so we're pretty amateurs at reviving people, right. but we work on you for a while. Right. <laughs> I think you came to in the tub. Right. But I, we worked on you, and as soon as uh, you were kind of out of the woods... I went down to the bathroom to see what the hell was in there, and I found your uh, your bindle of that china white, and I said, "Well, I better 
I better protect it yes. by taking this. <laughs> and so some girls showed up. It was like a miracle. It was like right. angels. You know, two girls showed up like first thing in the morning. Nobody's even up at that hour. We'd, right. we'd been up all night. This right. all started in dark, you know. Right. And then, so we handed you off to them. And then we left. And, um, you know, and we crashed the car because it was the same thing for me. You know, after three days of coke and doing dope, right. you're just, you know, you could die. And a lot of people do at that point. Well, and I, so the, it's the, my memory of that is, you know, just from hearing your stories of like, so now we're talking, this is 1982 or 1983. And that, and the reason I reference that is because Brendan got sober in 83. I thought that propelled you to get sober, you know, and, but it didn't, you know. No. Not right you, then, right? I could tell you a couple bottoms and you would think, you know, and then I got up and right. I got sober. Yeah. No, not Started quite. Started digging. Right? Yeah, right? Somebody will always hand you a shovel. <laughs> so I, I can't remember the chronology either. So I, you know, I count on other people's, uh, you know, version of, of, of the history right. of myself. And, it, you know, it's been a long time. You know, I can't, I tell my story when I speak and I, you know, I, I Sometimes it changes only because I'm telling different parts of it, you I know. know, to the best of my recollection. But like like Bill W., we really want to get to the heart of the matter. I'm telling you what my experience was. Right, you know? exactly. The data is not as critical as the experience. Right, three, you know, it's just like, you know, three people see it, three different perceptions of three different ways, like about his experience with Ebby Thatcher, you know. Yeah. But the the part... It's just so weird. It's like I'll even be, you know, telling someone a story, and maybe tears come to my eyes, and I think in my head, I'm like, "Did that even really happen?" It's like, what the fuck? It's like, you know, and even my my oldest sister, Darty, and like she was kind of uh, not estranged, but just not involved with the family. Like when my dad went to jail and that whole story, and then being in prison and being in Chino and all of that. And she, after I wrote the book, she's like, did that really happen? I'm like, yeah, I didn't make that up, you know? Yeah. And, you know, or thinking of, you know, when I was in Fresno doing those robberies and, and uh, being with that girl and w- never seeing her again, having no idea where she is right now. But Well, that, so, was, a, that was a great depiction in your story. Right. I really, uh, you know, identified, you know, with that experience. And I had kind of like, you know, just lost track of you. You know, you, right. weren't, you weren't in my orbit for those years. And of course I was, you know, getting sober shortly after that. But even at the end, um, I'm, I wasn't sure what you were up to. I guess a lot of that took place your jail time. Right. I was sober. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt a little bad that I didn't reach out to you. I prayed mm-hmm. for you. Right. But, uh, you know, I figured, I don't know when this guy's ready. You did come out one time and I took you to a meeting and yeah. I'm all good with that. You know, people show up and they want an alibi for the mm-hmm. PO or the parents or the girlfriend. And well, that was matter. all the motherfucker era. You yeah. know, as like motherfucker was my first sponsor. Right, that's we reference it. I don't even know if we use it. He's gone, right? David yeah. A. Yeah, he died sober. Right. So I think there was a period in like '83 or '84 when I went to a rehab and tried to. You know, I put sixty. That was the most time before now that I'd ever put together. It was like. 60 days or something and we went to meetings and david a was my sponsor and but i still didn't get it to the fact like oh you have to do work and stuff i thought it was just going to meetings and and all of that but yeah we kind of connected at that point you know 
And then I was off and running again. And then you weren't, we didn't know each other, to not know each other, but we weren't involved with each other during my prison years from like 86 to 90, you know. And, but coming back when I was paroled in 1990, then we reconnect because I was excited to c- talk to you because I knew you'd been sober. So, eight, what is it? Say me again, uh, June. 22nd, 83. 83, yeah. And I'm July 8th, 89. So, mm-hmm. but I still had a year on my sentence. So when I got out, we were talking about that. One of the photos in the book was a day in, it had to have been 90 or 91, right, right when I got right. out, you know. Yeah. So I, because I still had the great mustache and all that <laughs> at that point. We were all looking good. Yeah. But, um, you know, Thinking about, like, I mean, we're talking here, like, you know, 39 years of sobriety and 32 years of sobriety, a lot has happened in those years, you know, from, it it, it is, it's like two different lifetimes or three different lifetimes. It's like, I think about the kid, that kid that was in eighth grade that was all charismatic and wearing engineer boots and the Dennis Hopper, you know, I love that out of Easy Rider jacket and and um, to, you know, going into the horrors of addiction, you know, being stabbed at Crenshaw Adams and, you know, all the stuff that came along with it to having this journey, the spiritual journey in sobriety, you know, and and I know you told me like what your moment of clarity is, is that, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit too about all the people that we've touched and all the people that have touched our lives in this journey, this, you know, 39 years, 32 year, is a lot of fucking people, you know, and a lot of sponsoring. I mean, I don't want to say, oh, I've been big on sponsoring, but I think I've, I've worked with a lot of guys and then I worked in treatment. So obviously, like I had more exposure to newly sober alcoholics, you know, but it's, it's, I don't want to say heartbreaking, but in some parts it is fucking heartbreaking, you know, like I buried, we buried so many people in sobriety, you know, and, and this isn't like the scared straight part of the right. podcast. It's yeah. like, it's just, it's when you, you you can't help to get have have some kind of attachment. I mean, you'd be a sociopath if you didn't. You know, working with a newcomer, going through the steps, and then being able to develop a relationship with this human being. Yeah, you know? this disease is fucking carnage. Yeah. So to uh, emerge from it just alive, you know, I, I tell new guys that come in, you got to use what's left of your mind to save your ass, <laughs> exactly, you know, right. and, and that's what, you know, that's what I've found. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, everybody, you know, it's what you talk about in your book, synergy, you know, everybody has helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, some people that are not sober, you know, are, right. are alive, uh, have helped me. And it is bizarre to me because, um, you know, I'm not uh, the most disciplined person, but I'm willing to surrender, you know. And Sandy right. B talks about, you know, letting go. And, uh, you know, we let go in, of what we think we, we need, you know. It's so much, it's so big a part of us. We, we don't want to let go. But God's got something better. But 
Right. We don't know that. We're right. only doing it because we have to. Right. Or that we may have enough faith because we're seeing what you're doing. We'll give it a shot because, you know, it's like, you know, jails, institutions are death or, you know, maybe let go of this. Yeah. You know, jails, institutions are death. Maybe let go of that, you know. And, we and that's in. what I see. It, it, it comes like in the, we were talking about this, the early sobriety is okay. It's laid out, you know. There, we're, you're pulling you out of the fire and sitting you down. These are the things, and, and you know, you have enough humility or enough, like when you get to that point, like I got to that point, was like, okay, it wasn't the worst bottom I'd ever been. And it's like, I don't want to do this anymore, and I know I have to change. I didn't know what the change would be, but I was willing, like you said, you know, and, and having that decision. And I, you know, I don't want to say it was almost easier, but. There, it seemed like there was a clear path in the beginning. Okay, do step one through three, you know, do, and do all this, you know, go to meetings, help other people. And again, I'm not discounting that's what I'm doing now, maybe at a different level. But then looking at all of the behaviors and character defects that come up, you know, during later sobriety, and, you know, what is later sobriety? I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, you know. Yeah, I was, I hate to say it, I was sober a few years, you know, and I realized that I was still hanging on to the idea that the fact that I was able to detach and not give a crap about other people was an asset. You know, I mean, because first of all, I, you know, kind of uh, evolved from this self-absorbed adolescent and then you add the drugs and alcohol and, you know, listen, nobody's can be as cold as a fucking junkie. Right. You know what I mean? And... uh and I, I find myself a few years sober and I'm thinking, yeah, well, it's kind of a good thing that I cannot give a shit about people. Well, maybe not so much anymore. You know right. what I mean? And so I think we, we, we arrive at a point where uh, we decide that uh, the character building is essential to right. being comfortable. I know. And, and, and I'm not comfortable. And Sandy B goes as far to say, you got to be happy. Yeah. To stay sober. Right. You got to be happy. And so that's why Bill Wilson talks about, you know, the steps that we have to take to be, to have serenity mm -hmm. in our life, you know. So it's, it's a little work. And, uh, but I don't, I don't look at it as like, um, you know, a heavy lift. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, back to the point you were making, I think we're humiliated before the consciousness of the universe, right. right? This is what people call the beginning of God consciousness or something, which, you know, they attribute to a, a later step, but I think it's almost goes Immediate. back to our, yeah. yeah right. For me, I would say, at a, you know, a moment of clarity. And you, you realize that you're just, you know, humiliated before the consciousness of the universe. And, uh, you know, at that point, you are open to something good right. beginning. And that is... The beauty, and I, you know, talking again about, you know, this world just being triage. Mm. It's just a miracle when you see people getting sober and their lives starting to work, you know, and a guy's just grateful for the simplest things. Right. And then families come back together and all that stuff. It's it's something to watch. Yeah, I love. I and, and it's so funny. You've been around. We've been around so long, and I hear something. I was like, "Fuck, I've never heard that before." This lady was at the podium. She was speaking at a meeting. This was a while ago. She goes, "When you when you clean up your act, when you sober up, 
10 people are, are affected immediately. Think about that, you know, and think about in your life, 10 people that can be affected immediately. You know, I don't know if it's your, you know, fiance or your, your mom, your dad, whoever's living, your boss, your friends, you know, immediately their life is affected for the better. That energy or that synergy is, is out there. And it's just so funny that, you know, I think I've just been really curious about, you know, some people can go through the steps one time and then go to meetings, be of service and all of this. I think I was just more curious of how deep I can go, you know. And then as, as we do the works and the longer you stay on the spiritual path, things come up like, fuck, you're an asshole. It's like you were saying, it's like, I don't think it is a great asset for me to be so detached and not give a shit about other people and learning about more compassion, you know, and all the spiritual leaders have talked about, you know, is that, you know, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, and um, it's, it's just the longer that you stay on this path, it's just not, no, oh, fuck it, I've got 39 years, so what, you know, it's like it, things open up more, for me anyway, and it's like, I learned like this has got to change. It's like the alcoholism or the drugs. This has got to change or it's going to kill me emotionally. You know, not maybe not physically, but this these behaviors have to change or I you know, it does it drive me back to the drink? Well, maybe not, or I'll just be a fucking miserable asshole or not even miserable, just kind of unhappy like you're saying, having to be happy. And that's what I think the long-term sobriety does. And that's why when I say it's almost harder, it's just more work. And I'm just curious about how I can become just a little better every day. And people say, oh, that's a good bumper sticker or something. But, mm -hmm. And I do, I have that gratitude of what, trying to do something and showing up a little different. And some days I don't. Some days I show up worse than the day before. Right, you know? right. But... Well, we continue to seek through prayer and meditation, you yeah. know, and, and I, I like that you are, um, you know, interested in outside literature and, and we're supposed to be, right. you know, it's suggested. And my, my sponsor's really big on that. He's a lot better than me at uh, picking up, you know, outside books and he shares them with me. He's got mm -hmm. some right now that I got to run them down for. And um, yeah, it gets to the point that, I mean, lo and behold, we're actually seeking humility. Right. How did that happen? I know. Right. It's just so crazy that, you know, I look at you as sitting across here and that, you know, that's 53 years ago. And, you know, to, you know, I'll sponsor people that are not even as old as I am sober. And, and it's just a blink of an eye. But all the experiences that everything that we have, you know, everything that, that has come has brought us to this couch right now which is so cool to me. It is. And, you know, and being able to sit here on a beautiful Cali California day in, yeah. in Santa Barbara just going, wow, we're not in the horrors of addiction. We're actually trying to be better human beings, you know, and getting back to that humility and that love and that compassion and all that stuff. I mean, I get emotional just thinking about it. Um, I just... I'm just so amazed at the, of like how it comes down to, you know, what Dr. Bob said. If you can, you know, coin this program in two words, what would it be? And he says, love and service, you know. And I, I listen to this podcast, uh, like, 
Super Soul Sunday. I don't know if I'm a big fan of Oprah's, but she's done a lot of great work. But she had this nun on that wanted to be a nun since she was three years old, right? And she was talking about all these different paths and, uh, you know, how she's open to, you know, her. she's passionate about hers, but she's not saying, you know, I'm not, she was saying, I'm not talking about the Catholic God. I'm not talking about the, you know, the Hindu God. I'm talking about one source of it all and and uh, but one of the things that hit me more than anything is that she said you know people always say you know if there's a god how could there all there be this all this problems in the in the world and these wars and this famine and all this shit and she's like god didn't create that human beings created that we have this freedom of choice and i was like wow that's such you know it's just such a great I don't want to say argument for it's like here's the experiment kids you know get you know point at the moon is that's where where god is or your higher power or whatever it is or love or whatever it is but that was such a great perspective to me it's like no we cause the shit that happens and we have a choice we can go either way you know yeah i'm i'm thinking about you know in your book where you, you know, you share about when your mom got sober, which is when I met you. Mm-hmm. And we're like, whatever. Exactly. And, uh, but she did you a great favor. You said that, you know, she didn't dote on you anymore. She was focused on, the, on her recovery. So she's demonstrating, you know, how to live. Right. And she, you know, that's, that's just huge. I mean, that was like a rock, you know, in your life, regardless of whatever was happening. In your subconscious, you know mm-hmm. that she's grounded. Right. I know. Mom was pretty, you know, and I share that in the book is that, you know, when I started looking into Eastern philosophy or Buddhism or Hinduism or meditating on a different level, she was never like, well, you shouldn't do that. You know, let's just go back to mass. And, you know, she was like, wow, that's interesting. She was open to it, but she was passionate about what her deal was. And, and I think that's where we get off the mark is that's where I think in this with this Catholic nun is it's like, you know, there's no it's not a fucking competition. It's like all roads lead to one, you know, to what we're trying to show you to be pointing at the moon and go. And that's where it is, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, even talking about my mom in in the in the book, or you know, just in life, and she's been gone what ninety six. That's a while now, and and but she wasn't just mom. She was a, a sober member about like a friend. And yeah, AA, she was great. You know? And yeah. I wish I'd got to spend more time around here in sobriety. Yeah. But yeah, she she sponsored my ex for a little while. Briefly. Yeah, I my, remember that. My ex knew how to pick them. Yeah. She, <laughs> she didn't know how to follow them. Right. Oh, but anyway. Um, yeah, you know, the the men's to our moms are very powerful because this is somebody right. that brought us into this world, right? right. And then we caused them, uh, well, I'm getting choked I up. I know, I know. But, um, yeah, I'm just a mama's boy. Me too. So, you know, you make that a men's to mom, and, uh, man, it just tore us both up. And it took me a few years later to realize what a big deal it was for her because she grew up in a knockdown drag out you know, a drunken household. Right. And here she's, um, she's hearing what she probably always wanted to hear from an alcoholic. I know. Right? God, I know. It's, you know, I remember talking to my mom when on the visiting yard, 
and going, oh, mom, I'm sober. And she's like, yeah, great. You know, how many fucking times can I break her heart? You know? Oh, God. I know. It's just, and she's like, well, that's good. You know, and not, you know, like, oh, tell me all about it. It was like, yeah. I go, but I'm really struggling with the book. I don't get it, you know. And uh, I don't know if she was formulating in her mind then about, you know, her going to Margaret. And again, I was thinking, God, Pete was such a good guy to come up every two weeks. And I think they, it was like forced by Margaret. Oh, and my yeah. Mom. He had no choice. <laughs> he, did, he had no choice. And I thought about that later because those two women were like, fuck, get out of the way, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, good old school age. Right. And so I think, you know, my mom, I don't know about yours, is, was all, even like three years into sobriety or so, I was like, you know, let's see how he does. Yeah. You know, so, and she, and not saying she wasn't proud and, and, and so happy that I was sober because she died when I was seven years sober, you know, so she got to see the turnaround. And what, a, what is the greatest amend, more amends than that to her? You know, it's me showing her the love and, and the appreciation of what she did for me. You know? Yeah. And, you know, definitely a, a living amends. You can't underestimate the living amends. And, um, you know, what I've said to, people that are, you know, puzzled about how they're going to make an amends for something, you know, just, I mean, there's always a solution, like, right? You know, if you become willing, the universe will provide an opportunity, you know, and it, there's plenty, there's plenty. I mean, it can be like, say you did something random and stupid as a kid, like vandalism and stuff. Well, that's, that's not so hard to figure out. Yeah, that is the most mindless, um, but there's so many things, you know, people get a little puzzled and I just say, hey, just become willing. The universe will show you how to do it, right? And and that's what happens. Yeah, it's you know it's that how you know honesty, open mindedness, and willingness. And yeah. you know, I it it it's such a great journey. This you know sobriety thing, which sounds so corny. You know, um, I think about how I was in those you know drug years. One, probably the most irresponsible person i i you know uh, you know if i tell you hey i'll i'll meet you at two i'd show up at like 4 30 or maybe seven or something it, it was so inconsiderate and self-centered you know and um to me now is like i sit when i say what I, if i'm going to do something i do it you know no matter what it was it's like writing the book i have no idea how to write a fucking book you know and and you know, whether it would be a good book, but it was, it was someone kind of inspired me to do it or they said, encouraged me to do it, I guess is a better word. And, um, but I, I, that's why I finished it is because I said I was going to do it. You know, this podcast, you know, we don't have like marketing or it's not going out, but still there's seven, this is the 18th episode and it's almost 4,000 downloads. I, that's probably not good to Joe Rogan's world, but, or, you know, to us, this is, you know, 4,000 people somewhere are listening to this and hopefully getting something out of it. So, you know, not kudos to me, but I'm just saying I'm such a different person. And that's because of living the principles of, of the program and, and then, you know, living a, a, a spiritual life or, you know, being the spiritual being, having a human experience. And it's so nice, you know, and going back to those sponsees of like we were talking about 
and even Amanda, my fiance this morning, was saying that, you know, you have to be so detached not to have feelings. Well, that guy got fucking loaded. Okay, off to the next one. You know, it's just cans of soup on the fucking shelf. It, it's like, it, it does affect us. And I get what the sponsors say, you know, well, look, you know, I mean, God, none of my sponsors are staying sober, but you did. And I get that part of it. But there's still this this kind of pain and attachment, not attachment, but like feeling that you want everyone to do well and everyone's not going to do well, yeah. you know, and people die. I think that aspect of our suffering, it just has to be um, morphed into obligation, right? Yeah. It just... Mm-hmm. Uh, we we just uh, translated into uh, you know obligation uh, of the survivor, yeah. <laughs> and and then there's the other side of the coin of the ones that are like inappropriate and like have to setting boundaries to some of my sponsees. They're like. No, you know, I had one guy, you know, show up at my doorstep or like, you know, not texting, hey, I need to talk or something like six in the morning, scared the whole household. I'm just like, dude, that's not okay, you know. And then him being on a run and then going, hey, can we get started again? I go, you know, get six months under your belt and then I'm willing to help you. But so I'm really good at setting boundaries, too, in that sense. And and, uh, it's not that I didn't want to help the guy. It was just like. I needed to set a boundary at that point because I didn't want to go get so angry or so resentful at him for being in his disease, you know. And and, and so there's there's really that, I don't want to say fine line, but there's a line that has to be set and there's boundaries as well, you know. Like it talks about in the book, you know, sometimes you'll invite a newcomer in and they might burn the house. Smash well, there's, yeah, there's, there's rehabs now and there's 12-step house, so I don't think that happens as much, you know, but... I just, I'm just so glad we did this, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the message, you know, if, if, if you could have one, like, you know, I don't know, like thought or something that you would want to put out to the 4,000 people that are listening or the 10,000 to come mm. about this journey of your sobriety, I mean, how would, what would you say, you know? Well, I would just say it's a miraculous journey. And, uh, you know, what did Carl, what was Carl Jung's quote about uh, we're on a, a low-level search, you know, yeah. the, the alcoholics on a low-level search for God. Right. And uh, that's, you know, that's how I see it now. That's what it always was. We just didn't know what it was. And, um, you know, a word that gets thrown around a lot is gratitude. I would just say on any given moment, the sober alcoholic... Uh, his default should be gratitude. Right. If you if you get any perspective, you're going to be grateful. And if you have to look for things to be grateful, I'm kind of in a practice of before I get out of bed, I come up with three, mm. and I try to make them different than the day before because it'd be easy to 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 keep a couple up there at the top top of the list. But I do that, and I don't care how I feel. I identify things that I maybe should be grateful for, but I'm not quite feeling them yet by the time my feet hit the floor it's real you know and so i'm uh i'm i'm big on gratitude yeah i mean i that that's really good it's not because it's easy to get up and say i'm grateful for potable water i'm grateful for my fiance i'm grateful for my kids being safe and that's the that's a good one that's a challenge to like 
find three of or four that you didn't say yesterday. Um, and I, you know, I, I think about, you know, the question I asked you is like, in the journey, it's like, no matter what, you know, if you fall off the horse, you know, if you get loaded again, continue to try to make it back, you know, because, you know, sometimes the candle gets blown out and you got to relight it, you know, it gets blown out 20 times, you know, and I remember when I was sitting with this Zen group in Morro Bay and, you know, the, the priest or the guru came up to me, he's like, oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know, he could tell I was a little off, right? And I go, you know, I'm okay. He goes, well, just remember to bring it back to the breath 100,000 times a day. You know? <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, just bring it back to this moment and what this moment is. And so, you know, if you've gone out and you're listening to this and you're wondering if you can get back, you can get back if you're still alive, you know. And, if, you know, the, what do they say? There's only two people that can't get this. You know, some people that, uh, what is it, can or, or will not or cannot give themselves to this simple program. Will not, it's like you won't, but cannot, maybe, I don't know what the reference is of wet brain or they're physically not able to do this or mentally not able to do this, but... If you're listening to this podcast, you can get clean and sober. You know, you yeah. can get back to this. And, and I would say a more, maybe a more accurate answer to your question would be hope. You yeah. know, uh, when I found hope, a light went on. I was sitting in uh, the cafeteria at Tarzana Psychiatric Hospital, and I heard Bill Wilson's, Bill Wilson's story, and I was hopeless, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I'd been like that for quite a while. And all of a sudden, the light went on. And uh, I said, man, if this fucking loser can make it, you know, and I identified with him. Why I identify with Bill, I don't know. I mean, he had uh, mil yeah, military service, you know, uh, financial success, long-term marriage, you know, academic achievements. I had none of that. But I identified with him. He's the archetypical alcoholic. And a light went on and hope is intoxicating. You cannot make light of that. I mean, that's what we find in AA. That's the light goes on and, uh, you know, we just try to keep it on. We keep it on for everyone that's out there. Yeah. That's great. I, I, I think of the Mickey Bush. <laughs> hope. Happy our program exists. Like, I love that guy. And then I was like, at some point, it's like, did you stay up all night and just figure out acronyms for that? Look, thank you all for, for listening. Um, there is hope. And that is, and then there's compassion and there's love in these rooms. And, you know, I, th and I say that people come to AA for two things, to be helpful and to get help, you know, and, and it's there. And please come, you know, come back, stay you know, do whatever you have to do. But um, I'm glad you come. I love you, Brendan. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you. We'll see you next time. I'd like to thank all the people that are involved in making this happen. Gerald Jones for producing and engineering this podcast. He's absolutely brilliant. Follow him on Instagram at Sonia HTML. His music is amazing. Maya Grace for her hair and makeup. I know what you're saying. This is a podcast. Why do you have hair and makeup? We just want to look awesome for each other. See you next time.